0: This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I announced the premiere dates of our Skull and Shackles campaign, review the Duncan Spiked Ice Tea Mix Pack, walk through the climactic Book Two Final Fight from Bestow Curse, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co host, Griffin. Roll a wheel save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back yeah we're back baby we're back we got a lot to cover today i think it's all good stuff yeah a lot of good stuff yeah how have you been man been pretty good yeah uh, we've been busy we have been busy shout out to our buddy tim he uh got married this past weekend oh we had so much fun oh I my was. god yeah the turnaround five hour drive up wedding day five hour wait i said five I was hour. Say, no nope, not right <laughs> eight. eight hour drive up wedding day eight-hour drive back the next day, but oh my god, did we pack a lot into that day. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was great. I can say now that I've probably driven more this month than I care to ever drive in a month again. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta lay it off for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, you know, my truck started this month, I think, or maybe like the end of the summer, I think it was at like 15,000 miles and Mm -hmm. I'm at like 17 something. Yep, sounds and, right. I, and I don't really, I commute to work like two days a
0: week, so yep. but <laughs> with like the, all these trips. The brew fest and this, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Plus just like the amount that I was back and forth from like Hawking Hills for our wedding and stuff. Oh of, yeah. You know, it's like back and forth from there a bunch. Yeah. You know. Wild
0: that that's not that long ago. I know. <laughs> wild
1: that we've been married for just two months now.
0: For sure, man. Well- Let's not keep the listeners waiting. Let's just start burning through this thing. What you been up to lately, man?
1: So Chris and I started a new exercise routine that's been really ass kicking. But mm-hmm. if I were to describe what we've been doing before and what kind of my philosophy has been working out in general has been a lot of strength training, like training heavily for strength, doing heavy sets. That's why I can lift a lot of weight. That's why Chris can lift a lot of weight. And we progress quickly is because we kind of prioritize strength. And I was kind of thinking, okay, we've been lifting a long time. We've been lifting like two and a half years in my garage, and I've lifted for a long time prior to that. So let's do some hypertrophy. Mm. (laughs) So now we're doing a routine that's five days a week. And it's It's kind of like a weird split because a lot of people do like push-pull legs or do like a back and biceps, chest and triceps, whatever. This one is back and triceps, then it's quad-focus leg day, then it's chest and biceps, then it's hamstring-focus leg day, and then it's shoulders. Okay. And it is brutal. (laughs) The first week we did it, which was about three weeks ago, I was like, I can barely walk. I am sore everywhere. I can't wipe my ass. It's, it's like yeah, it was pretty well, bad.
0: That, now that now that you and Haley are married, you know, I got somebody to help For, you out uh, yeah, like that. You
1: know, we got bidets in the mm-hmm. house, so pretty good. Now I I could, but it was it was an issue when I went into work. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is gonna take twice as long. It was real sore. Jesus. Well, have you ever had like the back pump that's so bad that you're like Johnny Lats? And you're yeah. like, oh, I you know, I can't reach in. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I was feeling. Yeah, I feel that. So we've done that. And Haley and I finally did our over the garden wall watch like a week ago, right before Halloween. And that was great just because we do it every every fall. And we had kind of put it off for too long this fall. I highly recommend It's still fall. If you haven't watched it or have never seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. It's all the episodes really only take like two hours to watch through. And we've, you know, Tim's Wedding, Brewfest, all kinds of stuff. So we've been busy, busy, busy.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, on my end, besides all of that fun social stuff we've been doing, I neglected to mention last time that we had one of these, that a new Tooth record came out. It's called The Surface, and it's a banger. Now, it sounds a lot like them, but it's different. If you listen to, like, Below or some of their older stuff, it's very aggressive, angry music. And The Surface is, like, aggressive positivity, which is a change of pace for them. Probably a change of pace, you know, in the right direction for their mental health. But it's a lot of fun to listen to. It still has all the ass-kicking riffs that a Beartooth record usually has. It's great. I would highly recommend checking it out, especially if you haven't checked them out yet. I do think because of the overall message of the album, it's a really, really good entry point for them. If you haven't listened to them yet, start there. And if you like what you hear, check out some of their more angry shit. It's really good. Besides that, and I'm moving quick because I got a lot of shit to talk about. The Dead Space remake dropped on Game Pass. So I've been playing that and it's such a good remake. It's captured the feel of playing the original, like when it came out. It's just overhauled graphics, overhauled sound. gameplay's basically the same. It's scary as shit. It's really good. If you like the original or want to try like an alien Esque horror game that dead space remake is tight i'm still playing galospire survivors it feels like they put out a big old patch for that every week or two truthfully the game just keeps getting better and better so if you're a pathfinder fan and a roguelite fan like myself i would highly recommend it it's like 6.99 so what do you lose in there right and then finally i'm here wearing my Attack on Titan shirt because as of recording tomorrow let me see if I can get this right the Attack on Titan the final season part 3 the final chapters part 2 drops (laughs) which fucking awful way some some real
1: Xbox (laughs) naming conventions (laughs)
0: there to, to, to like organize your final season but what that essentially translates to is the finale of the show um, I've read the manga through, so I know what's going to happen, but I can't fucking wait. I've been re-watching the tail end of part two, and I'm going to watch Attack on Titan, the final season, part three, the final chapters, part one tomorrow to get ready for part two. So just still neck deep in all of my Attack on Titan obsession that's been happening over the last six or so months. But yeah, been busy with all of the social stuff, plus all this other shit that I'm trying to do in my spare time but enough screwing around. We got some seltzers to try. We want to talk about the Bestow Curse book two finale. But before we do that, I think we've got a little bit of an overdue announcement. It's when we are going to release Skull and Shackles and how we are going to go about doing that. So at this time, I'm going to turn it over to you, Griff, because I think you should be the one who does this. Sure. It's coming pretty soon. Yeah. So Skull and
1: Shackles will officially launch on November 30th. Thursday. We're going to continue the Thursday release schedule that we had set with Hideous Laughter. So expect your regularly scheduled Skull and Shackles to be every Thursday thereafter. For the first release, we're going to release episodes one and two. And before we release that, we're pretty excited to be releasing vignettes for each of the characters short looks into their backstory and personality and you'll get to hear everybody's character voice in those. Those will be releasing starting the 20th and we're going to release them Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday and then that Thursday will be the episode drop. So you'll get to hear about every character in the crew and I think with those we should I'm not going to 100% guarantee But we should have the character art for those characters ready to go as well. So you'll get to see the official art of each of these characters as they are announced, which should be very cool. In addition, I kind of wanted to explain, I mean, aside from all the things going on in our personal lives, why we've taken a bit of time to release Skull and Shackles. And I'm very pleased and excited to announce that we have partnered with a company called Lossless Productions, helmed by friend of the podcast and very talented audio engineer, Allard LaRue, Woo. who will be editing all of HLP Season 2. So, what you can expect there is a, well, I mean, we've listened to some of the
0: stuff he's already done for us, a mm-hmm. ginormous jump in quality. Yeah, we've heard... So far, I think three of the vignettes as of time that we're recording this have been passed back to us. They sound fucking awesome. You're going to love them.
1: So in the show notes for this episode, I will link if you're impressed by the stuff that you hear on Skull and Shackles, how to reach out to Lossless Productions, reach out to Allard. He is, again, supremely talented. We're so glad to be working with him and if you've listened to any of the Dice Crisis stuff which he helmed he's just exceptional at sound design so I'll link how you can get in touch with that production company if you have any projects that you're looking to be professionally audio edited
0: Mm -hmm. I want to make two notes here the first of which is to thank all of our patrons because basically the reason that we're able to hire an outside company to edit the episodes One, to save us time, selfishly, a little bit. And two, to extremely enhance the quality of the episode that you will be hearing. So, yeah, I mean, just shout out to everybody, no matter what tier you're on. If you are on the Patreon, we're able to take some of those funds and dump them directly back into the show. Support a very good friend of ours business and enhance the quality of the stuff that you're getting. So, Big shout out to all of you. Big thank you. And then I want to make a clarifying point here. I know that you threw out some like days of the week here, but Griff, you mentioned that the 30th of November is when the first two episodes will release and then headed up into that is the vignettes. So that's going to be Monday, the 20th, Wednesday, the 22nd, Friday, the 24th, then the following week, Monday, the 27th, Wednesday, the 29th, and then you will have the uh, first two episodes the day after that. So mark your calendars because good shit's coming. Yes. Get excited. If you haven't listened to prior of Truth
1: to know what the party composition is, the last two of Truths, we reveal the entire cast and crew. Yes.
0: All right. Well, that is our biggest bit of stuff to announce. I think we have a little bit more housekeeping to do at the end of this episode, but we wanted to pull that up to the front just in case the folks are not caught up on Bestow Curse and don't want the finale for book two spoiled because we're going to be talking about that in extreme detail. But before we get to that, we got to
1: taste seltzer. Yeah, we got a seltzer tasting to do.
0: It's been a few weeks since we've done one of these. We haven't done one for the last two episodes of the Zone of Truth, but we're coming back in a big way. When we went out to the brew fest, we swung by our place for beers. I always try and find some weird seltzer packs and certainly delivered. I got a few more in reserve here, but we're starting with the Duncan Spiked Iced Tea Mix Pack. I'm going to start talking about this. Let's get into it. So, first thing of note, despite this being a huge company, there's no copy on the website to describe this pack. There's just like the flavors. So, to describe it, this is a poll from an August 14th, 2023 press release by you know him, you love him. Brian Gilbert, Vice President of Retail Business Development at Duncan. (laughs) Oh, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, classic Brian. All right. We knew we had an opportunity to create something special when we saw the positive response to our previous seasonal collaborations for Dunkin' Inspired Beers. The growing appetite for adult beverages inspired us to put a twist on our customers' favorite Dunkin' iced coffee, iced tea, refresher flavors. Dunkin' Spiked is perfect for day or night enjoyment and comes in eight distinct flavors available in grocery and package stores later this month. This new line of ready-to-drink adult beverages elevates Duncan's offerings, and we know our 21-plus fans will love Every sip, I think he just said that straight off the dome. I'm sure that one was no copy written. Yeah, I don't think he really wanted
1: uh, wanted to advertise that you should day drink these. But
0: yep. So, all right, a couple notes here. These are not available in Dunkin' stores. You got to get them at a grocery store. I really want to try the Dunkin' coffee. They did not have them at the place that we were shopping, so we do have the tea and refresher pack here. These are five percent ABV, and I think also notable is that. There's 15 to 30 milligrams of caffeine per can. That varies by flavor, but we've got four flavors. We have slightly sweet iced tea, half and half iced tea, strawberry dragon fruit iced tea refresher, and mango pineapple iced tea refresher. How are you feeling about these, Griff? Are you excited? You know what? I am a little bit. When you said that there's that caffeine, because that definitely means that they
1: used real tea. Yes, and I can see it here now. Now that I'm looking, it's a premium malt beverage with real tea and natural flavors.
0: Yes. So. Could be good. I don't know. Yeah. Consensus on the discord from people who've tried the coffee is that it tasted like ass. Usually coffee stuff does, though. This is true. I, mean, I can tell you the PBR coffee Ugh. stuff. Like, I can drink it. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But it it's a far cry from coffee. Yeah. So, all right. How are we going to rate these seltzers? We're going to use the Duncan scale. So, number one out of five is Duncan Falls, Ohio, a census designated place with a population of 1,549 people. Two out of five is the Duncan Toys Company. They make the world's number one original yo-yo. Three is a Dunkaroos. Four is Dunkachino, which if you're not familiar, that's the bit that Al Pacino does in the Adam Sandler film Jack and Jill, where he pretends to do an ad campaign for Duncan and they have a fictional product called the Dunkachino. And he makes a song about it. It's actually very funny. <laughs> and then five out of five is Shaq's impressive backboard-breaking Dunk record. So... Let's just get into these, man. Let's try the Slightly Sweet Iced Tea. You want to kick us off for this? Sure.
1: Dunkin' Spikes Slightly Sweet Iced Tea, made with black tea and refreshingly sweet, with a bright citrus finish and a twist of lemon flavor. Mm. Now, you shook these. I'm going to give them another shake. Apparently, they're shake well, so I don't think they're carbonated. Oh, well. I heard a little hiss on there. She sprayed a bit. Hmm. I'd say the, the sweet... The slightly sweet is a bit of a squirter.
0: Okay. That tracks. Hmm. You know, I can taste the real tea in that. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly tastes like iced tea. I kind of wish it wasn't as sweet. I kind of wish I just leaned more into the tea because the tea flavor is good. Yeah. There's like a little bit of like an acidic bite on top of it that I'm not in love with, but this is 100% drinkable. Yeah, I think that
1: that acidic bite is meant to be the lemon, you know? Yeah. It's really not bad. I think I'm going to give it a Dunkachino. Really? Yeah, I could definitely drink this. Hmm. Um, For me, it hits somewhere like just below the... Arizona's and the I, I liked the um the brisk ones too. It sure. hit somewhere below those, but I certainly think it's a good tea flavor. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's no Arizona. I think that's the Pinnacle. Hey, shout out to the Bang Hard teas too. Those were great. Yeah. I think I struggled to kick it up to 4, but I think it does exactly what it's trying to do and that's a definition of a 3 out of 5. I'm I'm giving this a dunkaroos. I I don't think this is bad. I think it's it's actually pretty good. So next up we have the half and half iced tea, thirst quenching and perfectly balanced with half black tea and half lemonade.
1: See, this is where I'm, I start to get a little worried, because I think with the sweeter flavors, we might start to get more artificialness.
0: Yeah, I got tea all over my hands. So yeah. Half and half's a little bit of a squirter too, so I just absorb that right in my jeans. All right, I'm gonna come right out on the gate. I right out of the gate. I think that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. One thing I notice
1: about this one that I don't really notice about a lot of half and halves is that I think I can taste the alcohol a little bit. Sure. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I almost want to with these. I mean, like the Arizonas are, they get kind of dangerous when it just tastes like tea. Sure. But I think the flavor is just fine on this. I, I think I'd give this a Dunkachino too.
0: I'm right there with you. I'd certainly like it better than the last one. I don't know if I can give it a five out of five, but... I don't think it's far away from a five. I think this is pretty damn good. I like it. All right.
1: Looks like next on the docket, we've got the Spike Strawberry Dragon Fruit Iced Tea Refresher made with green tea and slightly sweet with a bright exotic fruit flavor. All right. So green tea, that actually piques my interest because I pretty much enjoy every green tea alcohol I've had. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that tastes like natural strawberry. Like that tastes like muddled strawberry in that.
0: You know what? I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that. Good I, too. I really
1: thought that was going to be super artificial, and it's not. You throw this in like a summer variety
0: pack, you're having to time of your life, man.
1: Yeah, my only issue with it is I wish I tasted the green tea a little bit
0: more. Yeah. I think it's, it's very strawberry forward. It is strawberry forward. I'm curious how it stacks up against one of their refreshers. Yeah. I'm really not familiar with the refresher line, so I kind of need to separate that, you know, not try and draw any parallels. Well, right, to I don't, I don't know we, how successful this how, is. If we knew yeah. how those
1: were, we could say, okay, promise of the premise right there. It tastes exactly like the refresher, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. You know, I think I'm going to give this a Dunkachino too. I think, honestly, if this were just billed as a strawberry drink, I'd be really impressed with it. Yeah. Because it stacks up a lot stronger than most of the s- just strawberry billed seltzers that we've had
0: in the past. I think it blows away most of the strawberry seltzers that we've had in the past. But I do agree with you in that if you're putting green tea on the label, I should be able to taste a little bit more green tea. Kind of wish that came through. So I do think that takes it out of Shaq's impressive backboard breaking dunk record. But I'm also gonna give it a Dunkachino. I I like this. I mean, I was really ready for this pack to suck. Yeah. Because of what have people said about the coffee ones, but it hasn't. It's been pretty solid so far. I think you've done fours across the board. I'm only down to a three-on-one, and even still, three's better than half the shit that we read on this podcast yeah, yeah. anyway. So, all right, last yeah, three, one. Three's still a passing grade, folks. 100%, <laughs> yeah. All right, so this is a mango-pineapple iced tea refresher, also made with green tea with a tropical fruit flavor twist. The strawberry really gives me hope for this one because,
1: I, you know, if this tastes like natural mango, I'm really going to like it.
0: Yeah, no hiss on this one.
1: The strawberry didn't have it either, but I didn't shake it again. That one kills. There's a lot going on in there. That one's nice. I don't dislike any of it. I mean, again, it's also made with green tea and I'm really not getting the green tea
0: much. I'm getting it more than the strawberry one. Yeah. I'm getting a little green tea. I can also pretty distinctly get the mango. I can pretty distinctly get the pineapple. I say this is exactly what it's trying to do. This is pretty tight. If I went less than Shaq's Impressive Backboard Breaking Dunk Record, I'd be disappointed with myself. I think this fucking rocks. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I think this is probably the best one of the pack. Yeah. Which is awesome. Again, because I thought the the fruit flavor ones were going to be an issue. Yes. But they both impressed, so I'm very happy with that. I'm going to give that, yeah, the same Shaq's Impressive Backboard Breaking
0: Dunk Record. Wow, so we're very damn close with all of our scores, and I mean, this was... This was very well done. Great outing from Duncan. Just goes to prove you, Boston still has it. In all things. I mean, but it, that's heartening to know that like, you know, Duncan can produce a four out of five pack. Man, compare this to like, and I know it's not tea, but compare this to like the Sonic pack. Yeah. That is dog water. And this is just miles above that. Well done. Yeah. So I guess the final verdict here is where would Shaq dunk this pack? And, you know, maybe he would dunk it straight into the toilet or dunk it into a dumpster, but I don't think that's the case. I think he would, uh, he'd dunk it over the
1: crowd as DJ Diesel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think if you go to, uh, Shaqtoberfest or the fest it's sorry. All all festivals based around Shaq that have taken place in 2023. You could could dunk these into the crowd and and people would be loving them. Maybe want to check wristbands, make sure everyone who gets one is 21. But um, boy, yeah, if I was listening to some obnoxiously heavy bass tracks played by one of my favorite humans on Earth, Shaquille O'Neal, at a live event, maybe in the summer, ideally in the summer because... Yeah, ideally um, not
1: Shaqtoberfest, yeah, a summertime one.
0: Diesel Fest, I believe, was a outdoor EDM <laughs> concert that uh, was in the middle of summer in Texas. And if I were in that crowd, I would love to have a Spike Duncan refresher. Yeah. Let's divide these up and get into the back half of Curse of the Crimson Throne.
1: Sure. I think I'll take the uh, Slightly Sweet, considering you didn't like that one as Fine.
0: much. Fine. You know that entitles you to the high-rated ones, so go ahead and take that Mango Pineapple. I'll take home the Half and Half in the Strawberry track. Sounds good. Cool. Well... I guess that means it is time for us to talk about the book two finale of Curse of the Crimson Throne, Seven Days to the Grave. Be aware, folks, if you are not caught up as of time of this release with our Bestow Curse show, there are going to be huge, huge, huge spoilers. So this would be your time to turn off the episode and go listen to something else. Maybe download it a couple more times and just delete it so we get some good download numbers. Just throwing that out there. That's something you could do. But yeah, let's just talk about that now. So the Andason fight covers episode 65, Humor is the Best Medicine, and episode 66, Daughter Slaughter. Right out the gate, I'll just say that I think Andason as a bad guy, as a bookender boss, probably my most compelling bookender boss since book three of Carrion Crown. And I'm taking... What's his fuck? Audivian uh, out of this, out yeah. of the running because he's, you know, the big bad of the the adventure. So I just thought the buildup to get to Andason was great. The final dungeon was fantastic. I felt like all of our characters were very invested in taking her down. She really felt like the closing of act one, books one and two of the adventure. So I felt really good coming into this and i, I glad we all survived. Yeah. So, I guess I'm going to bump up a question that I was going to ask you a little later here, Griff. But did you expect to get any kills these two combats coming into this? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I knew this was going to be severe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of expected the airwalk would be particularly difficult for you guys, which mm-hmm. it was. I knew the two phase thing, you couldn't have predicted it. And so I figured you'd burn a lot of your stuff. On her, and I was right. I think it really just comes down to, you know, some good or bad rolls on either end, especially in the second half, some like really good use of stuff like mirror image just to prevent crits. Mm-hmm. It certainly could have been bad. A couple of the party went down. I think a couple of the party stayed up due to like two hit points, four hit points. Like this could have gone very differently with a couple of different, like a very slight change in damage dice that could have been dying to invisible. Yeah. Diego could have been dying to with no really good heal options. Uh, so it, it definitely could have got tricky.
0: Yeah. I'm a little surprised myself that somebody didn't go down. You're right. You know, just some of the random number generation fell in our favor. This is extremely difficult, uh, but I'm going to give a quick rundown of episode 65. We'll talk about the end and stat block. Then we'll hop over into episode 66 and do basically the same thing. So in episode 65, we're headed in. Figgy, Diego, and Sylvie are drained from our Luko Damon encounter, and Vex starts the encounter invisible, holding on to that invisibility potion for I don't know, 10-20 episodes. I knew I wanted to spend it in the final flight of book two. So when we enter this room in the temple under the hospice. This contains a large statue of Ergothoa and these seven basins of humors, blood, sweat, milk, you know, the, the big ones. The big ones. Yep. So we've got a bunch of foes in this room. We see Andason, two large zombie brutes, two zombie lords. And throws out this villain monologue indicating the queen hired her to infect the city with Blood Veil. She telling the truth, we don't know quite yet, but she's definitely evil, so we start the fight. She opens with this Sanguine Mist spell and basically is air walking around slinging spells at us, really, really mitigating what our two frontliners are able to do, at least in the first half of the fight. We have Mir using this Blossom spell, Veck basically consistently healing the whole time. A lot of healing to himself, probably more self-prioritization than any other fight that we've ever had, but it was absolutely warranted. And then Diego, who's large due to this mutagen collar he was wearing, which delivered. I can't remember exactly what to him, but it did. Just absolutely fucking murking zombies. I think he might have killed them all. Yeah, he was just
1: kind of, especially with that speed, that oil of swiftness or whatever. Yep. Just getting an extra hasted uh, attack on these zombies that were like, Level three, level four. Oh yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> means so really easy to hit him at map. Really easy to hit and when Diego hits, he hits really hard. Which is kind of what you need against these zombies who probably have a pretty decent hit point pool, even though they're not, you know, high-level creatures. But Andason notably uses C invisibility against Vec, uses Rip the Spirit on Vec before coming down to ground level to face us, at which point Sylvie kills her, but her spirit rises. Everybody gets concerned, episode ends. So I wanna take this time, Griff, to run through the Andason stat block here. Before we do, I just wanna do a quick question. Is the Andason plus zombie adds the printed encounter? Now I know we're talking 1E versus 2E, so throw that out the window. Just who's in the room? on the page. I think she has a couple
1: zombie ads in the base book as well, mm-hmm. just to, you know, spread some focus from her. Yeah. She also notably uses airwalk in, in the first edition, so I, I wanted <laughs> to keep that. But she's a cleric 10 in one and, you know, the way zombies scale in 1E is a little bit differently. Like, it's not just, like, static creatures. Like, mm-hmm. you can kind of scale them up. So she has... I believe two stronger zombies with her. I had debated here giving her, instead of like all of that, like one of Rolfs' creations. Mm -hmm. But I kind of thought, you guys are specked into killing undead. Let's give the party a shitload of undead to kind of annihilate. Yeah. So that was fun. In terms of her build, so there is a build of her that the creator of the conversion made i basically scrapped that and went ahead and built her from the ground up so she was a uh, creature 10 which is very difficult for you guys had a 29 ac 150 hit points has a plus 22 to her perception so she's like definitely going first over you guys her saves are plus 16 fortitude plus 19 reflex plus 22 will and her notable skills are intimidation religion, occultism, but she's got some acrobatics and deception as well. It's really hard to learn about her, as you would guess, because she's a unique creature. Again, I kind of hate the way that the 2E knowledge checks run, but she is conceivably a incredibly hard DC 37 society check or a DC 32 or DC 29 lore, depending on what lore you have. She's got Command Undead, which you would expect from... Um, an ergothoen cleric. She's also got some passives. She's got harming hands, which turns her harm from d8s to d10s. She's got sap life, so you can draw life force out of your enemies to heal your own wounds. When you cast a harm spell and damage at least one living creature, you regain hit points equal to the spell level of your harm spell. And then she's got steady spell casting in case she's like up in combat, especially with our AOO combatants. If she gets disrupted, she gets to make a DC 15 flat check. To not be disrupted instead of just get getting disrupted outright. I gave her this grizzly scythe, which I think is like one of the coolest items you guys have seen yet. I also gave her this breastplate of command, which she's not going to use, but was an item purely for you guys. <laughs> and then she had a barkskin potion, which was just because she had it in one E. So I tried to really make her gear worthwhile of how difficult the combat is. And that's like a level 9 and a level 10 item. So <laughs> Oh yeah. A little above your party's wealth threshold for good reason because I genuinely thought this was going to get at least somebody so I wanted it to be worth it in terms of the gear you got especially at the end of the book. I'm not going to go over all of her spells I'll just go over some of the stuff she used. So obviously she used that Rip the Spirit which kind of works like harm mm-hmm. except it like it has a 1, 2, and 3 action casting but it also imparts Drained if you fail a fortitude save, so it's kind of that double whammy. Uh, so she used that on Vec once. Uh, she also had a cool fifth-level spell she didn't get to use called Blood Feast, which she just never got close enough to somebody because it's like a touch spell, but it basically makes her head split into like a Gug head yeah. and, uh, and bites somebody dealing 12d6 piercing damage. And it also causes persistent bleed damage around a crit, so it's nasty. And I kind of built her around dealing bleed. I thought like with the humors, like a humor that could, she could easily get out of you guys is blood. So she had that sanguine mist, which is blood sucking fog that did fortitude damage, did 66 damage with a basic fortitude save and creatures in the area are concealed. The cool thing about this one is if you stay in the area, she can sustain the spell and do an extra 2d6 damage to everyone that's in it every round. You guys were smart and got out of that. She had airwalk, she had this awesome spell called horrifying blood loss. She had it heightened to fourth and then also at second. But what that is, is you curse a target, filling it with terror at the loss of its blood. The target must attempt a will save. With a critical success, they're unaffected. With a the success, they're frightened one. Failure, they're frightened two until they stop bleeding. Their frightened value can't decrease below frightened one. And critical failure, they're frightened three.
0: So this is something you would only cast on someone that's already bleeding, right? Right.
1: They have to be bleeding. So the target is specifically one creature taking bleed damage. When it's heightened a fourth, you can target one person and four additional people to take the save. So one bleeding person and four people that don't have to be bleeding, but all that stuff is dependent on the original bleeding person's bleed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that her DCs were like up in the 30s. She had like a DC-30 and a DC-32, depending on what she was casting. She used Impending Doom on Diego, which kind of has a tiered effect for three rounds. So on a success, the creature's unaffected for one round, which is what Diego was. Second round, they're off guard, and then finally they become Frightened One. And then at the end of the third round, they take half of the damage, which is 66 mental damage. But it gets nasty on a failure and critical failure. Like, they're immediately off guard, and then they become frightened 2, and then they become stunned 1. Or on a crit failure, they're immediately frightened 3, and then they're stunned 1, and then they become paralyzed. So, it's this weird, like, tiered spell that I knew I would have to get off, like, relatively early.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She also had sea Invisibility, obviously, she used on you guys. I had a bunch of spells that could cause bleed, like Bone Spray she and the zombies had reaper's lantern which you actually diego i think reaction killed one of them before i could kill figgy with it really yeah so death now so you you target a living creature that has zero hp and you snuff the life out of a creature on the brink of death the target must attempt a will save if this kills it you gain temporary hit points and a plus one static bonus to attack and damage rolls for 10 minutes so on a critical success the target's unaffected Success: the target's dying, one value increases by one, or a failure, the target dies. Ouch. Yeah. So that could have been brutal.
0: Yeah. That could have been. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't really have a chance to cast it. It felt a little mean coming from her because the DC is so high. Mm-hmm. So I was I was hoping to get to use it with the zombie lords because they both had it,
0: uh, but it was at a much lower DC. Anyway, that's indecent. Sweet. Definitely a difficult encounter, but we made it through... Something rises from her body, and we're in episode 66. So, a child of Ergathoa is the name of the creature, rises from the course of Andason. And I'm going to run down the rest of the episode real quick, and then we're going to talk about the stat block here. So, the child of Ergathoa uses sudden blight and a pallid touch to bring Diego down. Sylvie eventually kills it, but there's some sort of death throw that puts Diego at stage three of Blood Veil. Vale. So, After that, we did a little bit of searching. We found some very thematic loot to our different characters. So we got this Spore Shepherd staff greater, a greater staff of healing. We've kind of already touched on Andason's armor and scythe, which are fucking awesome. Then Umbra Wings, Grudge Stones, etc. We also found some notes of Andason where we were able to learn a little bit more about Bloodveil. The use of a mold from Foxglove Manor. This is our tie back a little vignette earlier in the campaign where you described a Red Mantis affiliated person going into Foxville Manor for some mold. And that's further confirmed with some evidence that the cult of Ergothoa worked with Red Mantis assassins. Documentation that they were hired by the queen, some sort of incomplete vampire information for Archminos. And I think that's basically all that we found, but it was still a lot. Episode's not quite over yet, though. We had a little bit of an RP session between Archminos and Vec, where they're chatting a lot about Aroden taking the Sun Orchid Elixir. That kind of promises to the rest of the party that he's going to tell them what's going on with him soon, or as much as he knows. And he talks about a whole bunch of random Atlanty bullshit before Archminos promises to help a little bit with the plague before returning to Ustalav. Party heads back to the surface, and we roll credits. Ends the book. So I'm gonna take a step back here and let's talk about this creature, the Child of Urgathoa.
1: Yes, so this was an elite Child of Ergothoa, creature nine. It had 29 AC as well. 185 hit points, had a 20 to its initiative, immune to death effects, disease, paralyzed, poisoned, and unconscious as a normal undead creature is. Had weakness 10 to vitality damage, AKA positive energy before the remaster. Its fortitude save was plus 16, reflex plus 17, will plus 20. Now, it had some interesting abilities here. So, its normal melee attack is this scything blade, uh, which its one arm is a scythe. It's a large creature, so it's got 10 feet of reach. That's normally at a plus 22, and does 2d10 plus 8 slashing and 1d6 void damage. And then it is a deadly d10 crit. And then its other melee attack with its hand is a pallid Touch, which has the same bonus to hit, has the same reach, but this one does just void damage, so 2d10 plus 8 void damage, and uh, exposes someone to the pallid Plague, which Diego saved on his Fortitude save, so wasn't affected by. Some cool actions, it's got that Reap that I used several times. The Child of Ergathoa makes a Scything Blade strike and compares the attack result to the AC of up to two foes, each of whom must be within their melee reach. Roll damage only once and apply it to each creature hit. Reap counts as two attacks for the Child of ergothoa's multiple attack penalty. Obviously, when this like crits and doesn't crit, you have to roll the damage twice because it's a deadly, deadly yeah. uh, weapon, but normally I would have just rolled that damage one time if it was the same result. And then it's got an ability called Wake the Dead, which is when the child of Virgithoa is adjacent to a creature that died within the last minute. They can animate it with a touch of their hand. Creature must succeed at a DC-28 will save or rise as a zombie lord, controlled by the child of Virgithoa.
0: So there's a very real possibility. We were just talking about Figgy dying the last episode. Could be Figgy, could be any of us, honestly. I mean, at some point we were all in trouble. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance in episode 65... You kill a character, episode 66, that character's back fighting the rest of the party. Mm-hmm. As a zombie lord,
1: yes. Ouch. <sighs> so, one thing I changed about a normal Child of Vergatha is that I changed the Pallid Plague into blood Veil. Sure. So, same saves and everything, but I made it blood Veil Just because this thing is like born of blood Veil and like born of the humors in the room, it made more sense for the disease to be blood Veil. So then the sheer blessings thing is when a child of Vergothoa is destroyed, they explode in a blast of infectious rot. All creatures in a ten-foot emanation are exposed to Blood Veil. Then in this case, it's the Blood Veil from the humors, so it's the especially infectious one that takes mm-hmm. you a couple stages up and is a much harder DC. Gross. She's also got some spells, she's got harm and sudden blight. That's about it. Can also bind undead. They, they count as fourth-level spells, besides the Bind of Dead, which is a third-level spell. So, significantly reduced in spellcasting compared to Andason, but still had a couple things.
0: Yeah, and not as high of a creature level. I would say that overall, this second phase of the encounter wasn't quite as difficult as the first phase. But what if we did not kill all of the zombies. I think that changes the complexity a little bit for episode two. Or what if somebody dies in episode one and like I said, gets reanimated or even just is out of the picture. So we're fighting her with three people. There's a lot of ways this could have gone. Most of them much worse than the way it did. Yeah. And to be clear, it's meant to go from harder to less hard. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, it's a a two stage combat. It'd be a little shitty if, the second stage was even harder after you'd spent <laughs> all those resources killing Andason. So it's less hard, I'd say. This one has more HP and is more suited to being in melee combat than Andason was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's kind of the danger of this one when you guys are already beat up. It can like hit two of you at once, crit two of you at once, as was the case. So it's scary in that way.
0: Yeah. I think. The second stage of the combat further reinforces how much I enjoyed Ann Dason as a villain. She's kind of this looming presence that gets revealed in book two, but you're like, oh, she was kind of doing pulling all the strings here for a while. And there a lot of the strings here for a while. And then giving her this second stage where she basically like ascends really just kind of hammers home that she is important. And you really get that whoa feeling that you do. Like when you're playing a video game and you defeat a boss, but then they transform mm-hmm. and this isn't even my final form or whatever happens. Yep. I just thought it was executed in a really, really cool way.
1: Yeah. And it's certainly like, if you know the lore behind Children of Urgothoa, like it takes a very prominent priest of Urgothoa to be given that blessing. So, mm-hmm. and Dason had this lore behind her throughout the adventure of book two that like she, you know, She's this wanted criminal. She, like, you know, even is wanted by the nation of Nadal, where she comes from, because she just, like, infected towns there on her way. And you find that information about her in, like, the direction. And, like, people, like, other Ergothoans are, like, worshipping her. Like, she's, like, this, not godlike, but this, like, very religiously significant figure
0: Mm -hmm. uh, to the cult. I think the fight delivered on that. Hell yeah. Well, anything else you want to add? about Andason or the fight in general before we kind of move on here? No, I don't think so. Great. Well, then I have one final question for you before we move into listener questions. We're out of book two. You got any teasers for book three? Any themes that we should prepare for? <laughs> Books called Escape from Old Corvosa. When all
1: the bridges burned, it's pretty damn significant. Ah, all right. Yeah, that's going to be a problem for us. Yeah, I made that happen earlier than it's supposed to in the adventure. Mm-hmm.
0: to freak you guys out well we are definitely freaked so the stakes get heightened I know there's some people abandoned in old Corvosa right now that we want to get out of there I'm very excited for book three you know they say you can never go home sounds like I'm never going (laughs) home Cool. All right. Fun. Well, got that to look forward to next episode or the beginning of that next episode. But I have a couple listener questions here. So let's get into them. First one comes from 10 Lawn Gnomes, our good buddy, Eric. Uh, This is a question for you, Griff. Any special downtime activities in Skull and Shackles? He references the campfire mechanics that have been really fun and speak with plants. And you've mentioned this notoriety subsystem when talking about my character in a previous Zone of Truth. So anything like that? Yep. So they're certainly gaining infamy
1: which is a a big part of Skull and Shackles. You know, you're trying to become free captains at some point here. Mm -hmm. And so you need to gain a reputation to do that. So you need to spend downtime, like, telling people about your tales and showing them proof of your exploits and that kind of thing. So that's a big part of downtime. I'd also say the ship takes kind of center focus in downtime. There's a lot of things that you can do to upgrade the ship, you know, I'm providing kind of a secondary subsystem for the ship that will allow the crew to invest the work that they've done, like increasing their bounty and everything into upgrades for the ship, which will take time and downtime. But things like, I think it was released in maybe Secrets of Magic, like creating special, I think they're called like gardens Mm -hmm. on the ship. Like, for instance, like creating a library that gives you guys access to a scroll of a certain level every day or creating an actual garden that gives you guys access to herbs to create alchemical whatever once a day. Like that kind of stuff, I think, is all gonna be like upgrades for the ship that you're gonna want to have. So there will be plenty of downtime doing that. There's also plenty of downtime to craft if anybody takes crafting during the adventure. So I'd say no, there's not like a campfire mechanic, because you're not <laughs> you're not camping. But there's certainly going to be a lot of ship-centric stuff and ship activities to be doing.
0: Sweet. Very much so. Looking forward to that. We've got another Skull and Shackles question here for you. This comes from Max Hippo. I don't have a fucking clue what this question means, so you're going to have to translate for me. All right. This one's for Griff. Will there be a Davy Back arc in Skull and Shackles if you've planned that far ahead? So Davy Back is what they do
1: in one of the most infamous arcs of One Piece, the Long Ring, Long Island arc. Where they're up against another crew, the crew, um, the crew like steals one of their crew members, and then what a Davyback is is this, it's a series of like games and competitions that if you win, you can like wager crew members. Oh boy! Between the two ships, <laughs> and so I haven't built in a Davyback arc. That this question actually made me consider like what would be fun to do for something like that. But it was a very goofy and like often touted as like filler-ish arc for One Piece. <laughs> and I think it you know it would be very filler for us to do a Davy back thing, although it would probably be quite fun, so so I'll consider it, but I I, I don't have any mechanics in place.
0: Alright, yeah, so it's not a no we will see and uh, I'm, I'm gonna wager Brooks's character. Yeah. <laughs> Get that frog off the boat. <laughs> All right. Last question here. This also is from 10 lawn gnome slash Eric. What's your favorite piece of media that has a time loop mechanic similar to roguelike games? Some examples are edge of tomorrow, source code, groundhog day. I have four answers. Jeez. So uh, go, 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 go first.
1: Do yeah. you have any? I mean, I really liked from a role playing perspective. If anyone's listened to the adventure zone, the GM on that Griffin did just this really cool arc that was like a Groundhog Day arc, but mm-hmm. in D anD D, and it was really cool to like kind of listen to that play out. Oh, that's interesting. So was, I'd love to know how that plays. Yeah, out. it's it's uh, RPG. It's very cool, and it's like it, it was very much a like, hey, we we gather information until we die, mm-hmm. and then like when we get killed, we come back here and we gather information until there's a lot of like dead end, like this kills you things that mm-hmm. that happen for them to eventually like find the right stepping stones to complete the arc so that was pretty cool
0: hell yeah all right well for me fuck groundhog day the goat piece of media with the time loop mechanic is stargate sg1 window of opportunity this is an episode of the tv show that took place episode six of season four this is one of the first times as a a young kid that i saw something in a sci-fi show that just melted my mind. It was the first time I was exposed to time loops, to be fair, but I think people generally really, really enjoy it. I've seen several polls like what is the best Stargate SG-1 episode, and this wins every single time because it is fabulous. I've also talked previously on Zona Truth about a pretty quick game called The Forgotten City. So I'm not going to rehash that territory, but if you wanted to play a time loop game that I think is actually executed in a fabulous way, check that shit out. Eric, you mentioned Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. Uh, A lot of people don't know that's based off a manga called All You Need Is Kill. And that is fucking great. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow is a very good movie, but the source material for that rips. It's so good. And then the last thing that I wanna talk about, I'm actually not gonna name the show that this comes from because that might be a spoiler for people that watched the show, but I will mention the arc of the show by name so if you wanted to look it up, you you know, immediately you'll know what this is or if you're familiar with it already, you'll know what this is. But half the fun is realizing what this is while you're watching the show, so I'm not going to spoil what the name of the show is. But there's an arc of this show called and this is an anime um, called Endless Eight and absolutely blew my mind. It's a show that I've watched within the last couple of years. I'm going to continue to be vague about that. But basically, you're watching this season of an anime and an episode takes place, which is just like what the characters do during a summer and kind of nothing happens. And by the end of it, they're done with summer. And you're like, that was a waste of an episode. And then you start the next episode and you're like, wait a second. Did Crunchyroll fuck up? Like, is this the same episode? Because it feels like the same episode. And you realize that you're basically watching the same episode for a second time, but it is completely reanimated and revoiced from the ground up. So, effectively, it is a completely different episode because it's animation. It's not like shot from a different angle. They completely redrew it, they completely re recorded it, and basically put it out as a second episode. Then you watch the third episode and the same thing happens. It's a brand new episode from the ground up, but the script is the same like episode two, though there are some minor differences. And I think it's in episode three. The characters realize they're in a time loop, but this shit happens eight times in a row. And (laughs) generally people online complain about this as like, the reason they fell off of this show because they don't like watching the same episode eight times in a row. But I think it is an incredible reflection of time loops in media. I don't think any other swing at that has captured the frustration of being in a time loop the same way that that arc of the anime has. It's a huge fucking swing that didn't work for a huge chunk of the watchers but it really worked for me because i was so invested in trying to figure out what was different in every loop and what the characters would have to do so i didn't have to watch the same fucking episode (laughs) another time but yeah a lot of people hated it i fucking loved it it was so cool so yeah that's it for me i like time loops i like sci-fi all right we got a little bit of wrap-up and housekeeping to go before we get out of here. Just wanted to do a quick mention that we refreshed the format for our Discorderly sessions that we do once a month with the $10 and up patrons. Basically, instead of every month doing a episode listen and drink along, we're kind of changing things up. We're kind of hearkening back to when we used to do themes every month where we would kind of dress up and and maybe act in in a little bit of a different way every time but also giving the patrons a little bit more autonomy to to vote on what we actually do so one of the options is still going to be an episode listen along so if you want to do that and people vote for it great we're just going to do that again but more options to watch fun movies together play games online together just kind of open up what Disc Quarterly is to help freshen it up a little bit. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. It'll be too late for November by the time this drops. But if you're interested, check it out in uh, the first weekend of December. It's going to be a lot of fun. And finally, I've got a little bit of announcement myself. Previously, I have mentioned that I'm going to be on the next season of STF and Friends with our friends over At the Strange Table Fellows Network, we're going to be playing a sci-fi game called Traveler. It's not Pathfinder. It's not Starfinder. It's a little different. And the first live episode of that is going to be on their Twitch channel the 27th of this month. So that is going to be just in a few weeks on a Monday night. So come check it out. Character creation is part of the game and it's all done live. So... It's basically the most emergent storytelling possible. And watch me squirm trying to figure that out while people watch. So, gonna be fun, but check me out there. Come hang out with us in Discorderly, and we will see you in a couple of weeks for not only a new episode of this program, but our first vignette dropping November 20th for the Skull and Shackles campaign. I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. Again, all of that on this feed. Yes. All right, well, I think that's all we had to cover today. Griff, you succeeded your will save. We got Skull and Shackles coming up. Is there anything that you want to say to the folks at home? Hmm, I mean, just
1: make sure you tune in for Skull and Shackles, you dinguses. What else is this all about? Good question,
0: but on that note, I guess later...